With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And if you've heard me talk about Grammy, you know that she means the world to me. I wanted a dog for probably 10 years and I was living in an apartment, couldn't have dogs. When I finally moved somewhere else, I adopted her within weeks and it was love at first scritch. She's about two feet away from me as I record this. She hangs out in the studio and all I want to do is smooch her and look at her and stare at her. I also like feeding her because I see how happy it makes her. And there's nothing like watching her lick her chops after having yummy stuff like Grammy's pot pie or real Texas beef and sweet potato, which are two recipes she's been enjoying for America. As her parent, I like that they use deboned meat and fish or poultry as the number one ingredient. I also like that they have these real ingredients and you can see them on the bag so you know what's in each one. And watching her do a little dance, especially with a Grammy's pot pie recipe, brings too much joy to my heart. Is there such a thing as too much joy? I'm not sure. But check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Oh, hey, it's the coconut LaCroix that tastes just like sunscreen, and you wouldn't have it any other way. Allie Ward, back with an episode of Ologies. I'm so proud of you that you're listening to. You're doing it. Maybe you thought, no way in hell, Ward. Okay, fine. Or perhaps maybe you're listening with your arms crossed over your chest saying, make me like wasps. I dare you. You can't do it. Watch me. Wasp me. Watch me do it. First off, okay, how many species of wasp can you name? I know you're like yellow jacket, hornets the big mean hornets, the paper wasp. Maybe you've said the mud dauber. That's what, five right there? Oh, hmm, I'm sorry. There's tens of thousands of described wasp species. So many uncategorized, undiscovered ones. They are like the tiny sharks of the air. They're feared apex predators who get a bad rap, and most of them will not harm you. So hating on wasps, so yesterday, so gauche. So we're going to dig in. This ologist is a natural history writer, the principal author on the Kaufman Field Guide to Insects of North America. He has been a professional entomologist at the Oregon Zoo, the Cincinnati Zoo, uh, the Smithsonian Institution. I have wanted to talk wasps for years with him, but we wanted to wait until his new book dropped, and it's called Wasps, the Astonishing Diversity of of a misunderstood insect. And it did just drop. It just came out in March. So we will chat. But first, we will thank patrons at patreon.com slash ologies for supporting the show. It will cost you a cool dollar a month to join and submit your questions. And thanks to everyone leaving reviews, which keep the show kicking ass in the charts. We're going to read a freshie, which we do every week. This one is from Floodball, who left the Apple review. I'm a medical student in need of worldly wisdom, and this podcast has absolutely changed my life. No other words. I love you. Floodball, I love you back. You're about to love wasps. Hunker down. So this totally unpronounceable ology is derived from the Greek word for wasp, although so many people online just use the term waspology, we're going to discuss. We'll also cover homicidal hornets, the most painful stings, bug corsets, modified egg cannons, breathtaking biodiversity, some gardening tips, why a wasp wants your sandwich, some barbecue strategies, underdogs, zombie victims, and snack vaults as we do our best to make you horny for hornets. Gonna happen with author, entomologist, and champion of your soon-to-be former enemies, sphexologist Eric Eaton.
first thing I'll have you do is if you could say your first and last name and your pronouns. Sure. Uh, Eric with a C, Eaton, and he and him. Sweet. Okay. Now we discussed what the ology for this would be, and it was a ologist. How do you say it? <laughs> uh, it, it I, there's different pronunciations. There's uh, sphexology and uh, spexology, and I'm not sure which one is preferred, if either. <laughs> um, <laughs> I definitely think if there's a phobia attributed to it, there should be an ology, right? That's absolutely right. I agree. And perhaps even aphelia for people who are drawn to study them, right? Oh, I would agree with that as well. <laughs> Could you tell me a little bit about how long you have been into bugs? Oh, okay. I usually go with my mom's account, which is that I became interested in all things nature in kindergarten. And I vividly remember my uh, teacher was a gifted artist and she drew a trapdoor spider on the chalkboard one day. And I was just mesmerized by that. And then she told us how it behaved and I was even more fascinated and and so my affinity for for nature has always been the underdog or the things that most people disdain. You know, it was like, you know, sharks before they were cool uh-huh. and <laughs> snakes and spiders and insects and things of that nature. And if I'm truthful that I got interested in wasps initially because no one could call me a sissy for catching some, something that could fight back. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, the, then when I learned about how they behave and their natural histories, it, it my interest just took off all the more. Were you ever interested in bees first or did you go straight from like spiders and underdogs to wasps? Oh, that's a good question. I I think I've always kind of had an affinity for, you know, flying, stinging things probably. And by today's measure, bees are are just a subset of wasps anyway. Mm. (laughs) They've gone from the predatory lifestyle to, or parasitoid lifestyle to the pollen collecting lifestyle. Pardon me, hold up. Bees are a subset of wasps? Tell me everything. Well, that's kind of an an ongoing debate, but the trend is, is towards the idea that, yeah, bees are essentially pollen-collecting wasps. Uh, and there are other wasps, by the way, that, that are what you would call true wasps that also collect pollen. Just a quick taxonomy aside. So my friend, Workopedia, told me that a wasp is any insect of the narrow-waisted suborder Apocrita that is not a bee nor an ant, but wasps do share a common ancestor with bees and ants. So Wasps come in a whole big variety of genera from Vespa, Hornets, and Vespula, aka Yellow Jackets. But again, there's giant biodiversity, including, wait, wasps who collect pollen? What are those called? They're called pollen wasps, not surprisingly. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're solitary, though. They're not social. Part of the thing about wasps is that, that the our public definition of wasps is very narrow. It's basically what we call a hornet or a yellow jacket or a paper wasp, one of the social species of wasps, when in reality, the overwhelming majority of wasps lead solitary lives and only a fraction of them are capable of stinging us. Really? Yeah. The first thing you think about when you think of a wasp's nest is you think about a ton of them who want to hurt you. And so you're saying both of those things are flim flam? Well... It depends on the circumstance. Mm-hmm. You know, if you aggravate a nest of social wasps, you're going to be in for it. I mean, their venom and their 
their sting is used primarily in defense of their nest because their nests contain, you know, very soft and helpless grubs and eggs and pupa mm. that can't defend themselves. And so the workers are unleashed at the slightest hint of hostility. So again, not all wasps are social and only a fraction of them sting, y'all. So when you think about a hornet's nest or a yellow jacket's nest, those are only one type of wasp, the social ones. And what would you do if a bear pounded on your window and poked its snoot in your door, hungry for your babies? Maybe you would brandish the venom gun attached to your butt to defend your several thousand newborns. They have so many babies. <laughs> what about when you describe the body of a wasp? What makes up a wasp? Is it the type of wings or mouth parts? They're four-winged insects, and their wings are connected by these hamuli, which are little hooks on the hind wing that join to the edge of the hind edge of the front wing so that they act as one pair. Wow. And they, they don't, yeah, they don't uh, flap independent of each other. But the sting, by the way, is really a weaponized egg-laying organ. I love that. Yeah. In the evolution of, of wasps, the females went from just this injecting, egg injecting device, basically, to, to a venom injecting device. And they then put their egg out through an oviduct rather than through what is now their stinger. Ooh. I mean, okay, let's let's ask the question probably on everyone's mind. How many times have you been stung and how do you feel about it? And <laughs> <laughs> uh, not very many. Oh, good for you. Um, and and those times I have been, it's been my fault. Disturbed a nest uh, by getting too close or netted the thing and it's you know, found a way to to jab me, but most of the time I'm I'm gentle with them and they're gentle with me. Right now we have a paper wasp nest with one wasp on it in the corner of our back door, and you know we come and go out of there with no problem. Aww. I mean, it, it took us you know a couple of weeks to recognize it was even there. So you know the idea that wasps are super aggressive probably is misinformation and exaggeration and you know the media does a good job of that and if you're in the business of pest control you know it's it's to your advantage to paint them as very aggressive animals mm. maybe just because they're not fuzzy people don't trust them as much <laughs> <laughs> and are they not fuzzy because for the most part they're not collecting pollen and nectar well, they are hairy, actually. Oh. Uh, some are really hairy, like velvet ants, which are actually the females of velvet ants are wingless. Mm -hmm. And so they look like big furry ants running around on the ground. So velvet ants are wasps, even though they're not ants, nor are they made of velvet. And they're called cow killers, even though they cannot kill cows. So the situation is indeed a little hairy. Most other wasps have hairs that are called setae, and setae usually have some kind of sensory function. And so they're either detecting scents or air currents. Their vision isn't necessarily really good. Mm -hmm. They're good at detecting motion. In lieu of that, their setae can detect air currents. Oh, can you imagine if, I mean, I guess if you have a lot of back hair, you probably could tell <laughs> which direction the breeze is coming from. I suppose we use it similarly, right? No, oh, maybe I've got a I've got a ponytail right now because of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> sure, you're not the only one out there for no. sure. You know, I'm so 
excited to hear about like work out in the field did you have to do in collecting stories and data for your book? I mean, I did study entomology as an undergraduate at Oregon State. Eric's mentor was the late Dr. George Ferguson, who was a world authority on wasps and donated his collection of 80,000 specimens to Oregon State University. Oregon State, sup? Hi. Hi to your dead wasps. Anyway, Eric got to learn about their behavior from doing field research. Some things are just stunning. I, I was in Massachusetts and I watched this mason wasp, which is a solitary relative of, of yellow jackets. And, and she was going over the surface of this curled up leaf. And I, I, I knew that there was a caterpillar in there and I knew that mason wasps hunt caterpillars, but she didn't go after it the way I sh- thought she would, which is to just bite a hole in the leaf and drag the thing out. She forced it to eject. And, and when these caterpillars eject, they basically bungee jump out of the thing. They, they release a thread of silk that they hang off of, but they just leap out of their little curled leaf. Mm-hmm. And so what she does is she forces the thing to eject and then grabs it in midair before it can reach the ground. Oh, nice catch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's some NFL stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> nice work. Um, and right. you know, you said she are a lot of the wasps that we see or are familiar with. Are those females? Oh, excellent question. Well, let me put this way. When when people ask, you know, well, why are wasps such bastards? Uh-huh. Well, uh, in, in actuality, it's only the females that sting. So they're <laughs> bitches, bitches. <laughs> we got that question so much of like, why are they such dicks? But they're not. Right. They're the C word. Thank you very much. <laughs> See you next Tuesday then. I mean. Yeah, but, but again, it's only the... You know, our definition of wasps tends to be these social species that we tend to have negative interactions with. And all the workers of of social wasps are female. Mm. And males are only produced at the end of the colony life cycle. And they're released to mate with, with queens or females from other colonies at the end of the cycle. But... That said, we see a lot of male wasps also. The males are are either lounging around on flowers, eating nectar and stuff, Mm -hmm. because their only job is to find a female, right? Mm -hmm. But the females have have to do all this other stuff. They have to build a nest, which is often a burrow in the ground or existing cavity in, in a log or something of that nature. And then she has to go hunt food to store for her offspring or... For those that don't make nests, they just have to find a host and and lay an egg on or in it. Or in the case of gall wasps, they have to find the right host plant. And and so they got a lot of work to do, the females. And for that, we should admire them. I mean, wasps are kind of a symbol of female empowerment, uh, as far (laughs) as I'm concerned. But the males are, yeah, they're just either lounging around or they're defending a harem of females. And so often the males are the aggressors, even though they can't sting. They're trying to chase off any intruders that that might harm their group of females. So social wasps are a minority of wasp species, but are simply more visible because they hang out in crowds. And maybe you've seen their nests dingle dangling from somewhere. Now, the majority of wasps are solitary. They're chilling solo. Maybe they're pollinating. Maybe they're laying their egg babies on alive spiders or cockroaches and just tucking them in to devour their victim alive and then getting out of dodge. Oh, and word alert. So a parasitic organism kills its host, but a parasitoid lets its babies kill you. Can you imagine getting eaten alive by a baby? How pissed would you be? So embarrassing. 
But back to the social ones who hang out in cliques. How are these things that have a tiny knot of neuronal ganglia doing it? How are they doing it? I can't even organize a group text. Do they communicate with each other like with social dances like bees do or no? No. For the social wasps, their main form of communication is something called trophallaxis, which is mutual feeding. And so you'll see if you watch a paper wasp nest, which I recommend doing, you know, maybe use binoculars, <laughs> but you'll, you'll see two wasps appearing to kiss. And what they're doing is they're, they're, one is giving food to its nest mate. And Whoa. they also do that with the young. The larvae are fed protein matter. And then they in turn regurgitate kind of a sweet secretion that feeds the adults. Okay, so you feed your baby and your baby's like, mm, yum, 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 thanks. And then burps up lunch for you and you're like, thank you. Thank you, my baby. Yum, 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 yum. That is happening all over the globe right now and you never knew before. So many mysteries in the world of wasps. Some big, some teeny, teeny, like a tenth of a millimeter long. One thing I think that's so interesting about wasps, I didn't know until I visited the University of California at Riverside, their entomology department there, that wasps are not what we always think of with yellow jackets and mud daubers and stuff. Like, there are these tiny little, are they called fairy flies? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, can you tell me a little bit about the range from these little fairy flies all the way up to so-called murder hornets? <laughs> yeah. Fairy I can flies. tell you're already bristling at the murder hornet thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was unfortunate. Okay, first of all, let's lay out the lifestyle of most wasps, and that's a parasitoid lifestyle. And a parasitoid is basically a parasite that invariably kills the host. Mm. And in the in the case of, of fairy flies and, and several other families of tiny wasps, by the way, they're parasitoids of the eggs of other insects. Mm. And you can get several tiny egg parasitoids out of one egg of the host. It's crazy. So imagine an insect's egg and into it a wasp has jammed dozens of her own babies into your baby and her babies eat your baby from the inside out. Maybe don't imagine this, but the point is parasitoid wasps, especially these teeny tiny black shiny fairy flies, they get a lot of bang out of their buck for eggs. And they're sometimes used as bio-warfare against agricultural pests. And some fairy flies are nearly microscopic. There's one that barely exceeds the size of a paramecium, I think. Oh my uh, God. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's got, you know... It, it does its entire stuff with, you know, only a few hundred neurons or something. I mean, it, it's just <laughs> ridiculous how complex such a tiny thing can be. Mm -hmm. And they get bigger and bigger then until, I mean, obviously, we probably assume that some of the wasps we see out and about are gnats, right? Probably. Yeah. You're not likely to see these things because you have to set up flight intercept traps and malaise traps, and then you can put them under a microscope to see them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Malaise traps, side note, are the white tents that are covering a jar, and entomologists set them out in fields or yards to collect a sampling of local bugs. And all those little things that might just look like dust motes in the wind, they may be unidentified species. There are so many little bugs that we haven't formally met yet. 
I lived in an apartment and in the summer I'd get little gnats sometimes all over my bathroom mirror. And it wasn't until I found a dead one, looked at it and sent a picture to Leela Higgins uh, from the entomology episode. And she was like, oh, that's a wasp. There used to be a fig tree right under my window. And so they were probably fig wasps, which so many of us have heard that if you eat a fig newton, you're eating so many dead wasps. Is this (laughs) true or false? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Even if it is, they're so infinitesimally small. Right. It's like, that's fine. (laughs) But they do they do burrow into figs and live inside a fig, right? This is, this is correct. And mm-hmm. one thing people may not know is that the USDA and the Food and Drug Administration, the two entities that control our food quality, have allowances for numbers of insect parts in <laughs> your, because it's just impossible to exclude them. I mean, that's how ubiquitous insects are. And so even if you're not eating a fig, you're probably <laughs> getting another insect somewhere during your day. I had lettuce on my sandwich. I probably had an aphid. I don't know. The only pollinators of figs are these tiny wasps that have developed this, you know, mutualistic relationship with figs. And it's ridiculously complex. There's a great many species. Some figs do not require pollination, by the way. But for those that do, there's not only the fig wasp, but there's other wasps that are parasitoids of the fig wasp and probably parasitoids of the parasitoids wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, a lot of this hasn't been completely figured out yet. Unless an insect is of economic importance in one way or another, there's not a lot of funds to study them. Mm. And so a lot of what we know, we owe to really curious and determined scientists that said, I'm going to find funding to do this because it interests me. You know, there's a shortage of that kind of money to to do these kinds of things, but that we desperately need that. Okay. But one thing they have figured out is some hot ass goss about how figs are made. A tradition that goes back evolutionarily about 80 million years. Are you ready for this? Okay. So a fig is an inside-out flower. Let's start by just trying to cope with that fact right there. And then a lady wasp digs into it via the bottom of the fig's little butthole. And in so doing, she rips her wings and antenna off and then uses blades on her face to worm through the fig, pollinating the fig's internal blossom. And then she dies. She dies in there. She's like, okay, cool. I'm done here. And then her babies hatch. And the males of them have no wings. They just, they don't need them. They don't need them. They mature. They impregnate a female wasp before she hatches. A fig wasp born knocked up. Can you imagine? You're born pregnant from some wingless creep who is also your soulmate. And he's like, I got to split, bitch. And he digs a tunnel out. But once he's out, he's like, fuck, I just remembered I don't have wings. And you're like, thanks, dude. I got a motor. You go out his tunnel. You take some of the pollen with you all over your pregnant newborn body into the butthole of another fig, which once again is an inverted flower. Now, before you dramatically retch at the thought of a fig, Apparently, the figs were like, this is a convenient system for us. It's probably bad PR, though. So figs make an enzyme called ficin that digests the dead wasps. So vegans, you're pretty much in the clear. Don't worry about it. There's so many alive things all over everything we eat. Even when we try our plant-based best, everything's crawling with something else. Oh, and the crunchy things in a fig, you're never going to believe what they are. You ready for this? They're seeds. 
They're just seeds. Just calm down. Enjoy the fig. You know, when it comes to getting, say, bigger and bolder, what is kind of next up the line if we're going from these fairy wasps to fig wasps? Mm-hmm. And then what what are some of the ones that we commonly see? Oh, okay. Well, if we upgrade to the size where your naked eye is going to spot the thing, mud daubers are a really good example of a solitary wasp that we see frequently. And if, if we don't see the wasp, we certainly see their nests, which look like somebody just threw a clot of mud up under your <laughs> eave or, or whatever, right? And so that's most of those are the creation of one female wasp. And so she you know, builds one cell of mud after another. And in each, she she stores spiders that she gathers, oh. paralyzes, and sticks in there, and then seals the mud cell. <gasps> and the larva that hatches from the egg that she laid in there then consumes that stash of still living paralyzed spiders. Oh, my God. That is so hardcore. I didn't realize no. that mud daubers were making pantries full of dead spiders. Yeah. Wait, is that right? Mud splats are acting as pantries full of dead spiders? Or is it juicier than that? Do the larvae parasitize it while it's living or is it dead in there? No, they're 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 living. You know, they don't have cold storage and most of these <laughs> <laughs> insects are, you know, they're susceptible to the same moles and fungi and things that you know, are bred in the fridges and stuff. So they're paralyzed so they stay fresh basically. Entomologists will tell you insects do not have pain receptors, so it's not, <laughs> they're not feeling nothing. That doesn't make it any less gruesome, I don't think. But Right. Are the <laughs> eggs inside the body of the spider or how? No, they're they- just, they're just feeding exteriorly. <gasps> when they're done, there might be a few legs left or something. Oh, yeah. wow. <gasps> and then, okay, so mud daubers, we might see clods of mud inside. No big deal. It's a tomb for a living zombie like mummy okay no biggie what other ones do you think that people commonly see i i don't know the difference necessarily between a wasp and a hornet and a yellow jacket so what's the difference with those guys well okay if you want to talk about social species again then yellow jackets are primarily what we would call boreal insects that is that they're they're northern in their distribution some of them now are whole arctic they either exist on all the continents or they've been introduced from one to the other. Mm-hmm. So that's the Northern Hemisphere, basically. The further south you go, yellow jackets start to peter out a bit. And then they're replaced by paper wasps, which are the ones that look a little more slender. And mm-hmm. they build paper combs that have no covering on them. Ah. And so those you often see under the eaves along with the mud dauber nests. Okay. Oh, yeah. Those are the ones that you can see the comb. They look almost like those plants that people get really afraid of. Right. You know, those plants that have holes and people are like, that's my trichonocophobia. Right. You heard of that? Okay. So this is called trypophobia. And I just found out that two scientists, Arnold Wilkins and Jeff Cole, are studying the visual stress related to it. So they may be the world's leading 
tripologists, and they put out a 2015 paper titled Assessment of Trypophobia and Analysis of Its Visual Precipitation. They found that 17 to 18 percent of the population has a fear of clusters of holes around objects. So it's pretty normal and that images in the natural world just don't have that characteristic unless they are dangerous animals or potentially contagious skin diseases. So it's inbuilt in us. Or maybe you're afraid of the triple lenses on iPhone 11 Pro cameras. Those cost $1,000, also very scary. On the flip side, if you're all about gazing at bubbling pancakes or lotus blossom pods, you may enjoy the subreddit Trypophobia, which is really a trypophiliac's paradise. So many pictures. Or you know what? You could just stare up at the open comb of a paper wasp's nest. Okay, so those are paper wasps. Yeah. And then what about the ones that make what looks like a papery beehive? Yeah, that's those those are aerial yellow jackets. And even though oh. even though we call one of them the bald-faced hornet, it's still a yellow jacket, it's just a larger one and it's black and white instead of black and yellow. Oh. Why do they evolve to be striped in black and yellow so much or these stark colors? That's something called apo Semitism, mm-hmm. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, or more colloquially, they're called warning colors. So their enemies learn to associate those bold color patterns with the fact that they can sting. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Um, it's like a caution tape, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't mess with my butt. I will hurt you. Which makes sense. If my butt could hurt people, I'd want to let them know. <laughs> don't touch my butt. I might hurt you with it. If they sting you, the ones that can sting, will they die? Do their organs get ripped out like a bee or no? There are some tropical social wasps, I believe, and and some yellow jackets that have barbed stingers. And so, yes, sometimes they lodge in you. That's not something that happens every time. Whereas with honeybees, it pretty much is once they plant that stinger, that's the end of the deal. Mm -hmm. But yes, occasionally... For some yellow jackets and and other social wasps, they do have that kind of evisceration that comes with stinging. Oof. Now, okay. I feel like when we hear hornet's nest, we think like angrier and angrier. I almost feel like if you had to go do like a family feud style, I'm going to pull 100 (laughs) people. We could put on a list like bumblebees are the nicest and then honeybees and then wasps and then yellow jackets and then hornets and then murder hornets you know we would like give this a range and i feel like that's probably not accurate but do they get bigger and bigger as we go and uh do they get angrier and angrier the bigger they get or is that just total myth again we have only one species of hornet in the u.s that's established and that's the european hornet which as the name suggests was introduced from Europe. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> They're basically Eurasian, all the hornets. The different species exist over over on the other side of the pond, so to speak. And I don't know. I mean, I, I have come across a nest of European hornets once. It was in a hollow tree. I got up in their grill. There was a little <laughs> little small entrance to the nest. I got pretty close and you know they showed no aggression to me whatsoever. If you linger in the flight path, of hornets or yellow jackets coming and going from the nest. Eventually, you know, they're going to kind of be annoyed at you, I think. And they'll at least give you a, you know, a loop-to-loop warning that, you know, maybe you ought to move your butt there. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> but but basically, I mean, yeah, I've, I've walked right up to, to a bald-faced hornet nest and watched them put paper on the nest and stuff, and mm. I don't stay there too long. Yeah. But unless you shake vigorously, <laughs> right? I, I think you're okay. Now, what about... I'm sorry. I got to ask you about murder hornets. And yeah. I know you heaved a heavy sigh, <laughs> a, like a, a just a heavy-hearted exasperation in all insect experts these days. <laughs> murder hornets obviously got their name kind of colloquially, but what are they? How aggressive are they? How many are there? What's the deal? Well... <laughs> I want to preface this by saying, once again, it's a human problem less than it is a wasp problem. We seem to have decided that our global commerce, that one of the acceptable risks of that is introducing species that don't belong here. They got the name murder hornet, not because they can murder people. Uh, I mean, that in in some extreme incident, I suppose that is possible, but what they do do is they raid honeybee hives mm. and they can take out an entire hive of honeybees because they're three times the size of the honeybee. I mean, they're, they're enormous. They're twice the size of a yellow jacket at least. And they just fly in, you know, crush the heads of the guard bees, go into the nest, keep crushing workers. And then they go and pilfer the larvae and the honey to take back to their own nest. I mean, I'm only crushing your heads. And so that's how they got the, the name murder hornet. Ah. Uh, it's for the murder of, of honeybee hives, not the murder of people. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the first thing. And secondly, it was a, a really irresponsible term to for anybody to create. And, and you know, it's typical clickbait kind of thing now, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's typical media behavior. And do they pose a big threat to apiculture here in the continental U.S.? <sighs> Potentially, but again, they're not, you know, one of the problems that was created by this is that in the monitoring for this species, it's, it's Vespa mandar- mandarinia, by the mm-hmm. way, is the scientific name of this hornet. Mm-hmm. Um, in the course of monitoring, they're, they're monitoring in places, this thing is never going to show up. It's never going to live in Texas. It's too hot. Mm. You know, it's never going to live in the Southeast, but the Northern tier of states and especially in the Pacific Northwest, where you've got so many ports where they can enter, you know, yeah, you should be monitoring for these things. And yes, there, there is a risk they could become established. If we don't start inspecting cargo better, if we don't think about maybe assessing some kind of tax for, for invasive species and this kind of thing so that we can deal with it if it does happen. So these are, again, human problems. Wasps are going to do wasp things, and, <laughs> you know, no matter where they are, right? And while many folks think that their darling, precious North American honeybees need saving, they're invasive, but they have an incredible publicity team. The problem is with is mostly with feral colonies of honeybees that establish in the wild and then start out competing native mm-hmm. bee species. Shoot, apiculture has its own lobby. It's going to get a lot of money from the government, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of subsidies. And you have migratory beekeeping now where where beekeepers truck their hives across the country, depending on what crops need pollinating, like almonds in California there. Yeah. Uh, your bees, to pollinate those, might have come from Michigan. Okay, story time. So one February, I was stuck in a three-hour traffic jam on the grapevine next to a Mack truck carrying hundreds 
of box hives. And I got excited because bugs. And I rolled down the window and I could hear and feel a really faint thrum in the air from just millions of bees. And I thought, oh man, it's winter. Let those ladies rest. Also, the bees are so lucky they could pee anywhere they want, which on the grapevine, I couldn't. It was too inconvenient for me. Ooh. And what do wasps do ecologically? Tell us some of the wonderful things wasps are responsible for. Oh, they're pollinators as well. They're what you would call technically flower visitors because they're there for, with the exception of the pollen wasps that I mentioned earlier, which are collecting pollen that they'll store for their larval offspring. Wasps are there for nectar because the adult wasps need carbohydrates like like we do to, to fuel, you know, to give them energy. Whereas the larval uh, insect when it's growing up needs protein to to grow on and go through metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. And so in the course of visiting flowers, wasps are going to pollinate flowers. Uh, and by the way, some orchids depend on wasps for pollination to the extent that they mimic the female wasp and get the male to fornicate with them. <laughs> and I, I, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. And, and so, yeah, in Europe and, and I think Australia and maybe South Africa, there's, there's wasps that, that are intimately, literally intimately tied to orchids. <laughs> How romantic. <laughs> Can you imagine there's like a hot dog stand in the shape of a, your nude lover just waiting for you? That's I mean, right. amazing. And then, oh, I have so many questions from listeners. Can I do a lightning round? We'll get through as many as we can. Sure. Oh, the other thing is, is we donate to a charity of your choice. Any any related charities? Uh, you don't have to tell me now. You can email it to me later if you feel like it. Um, well, I, I would give a shout out to the Xerces Society. That's I know them very well. Yes, Xerces, of course. Yes, I will shout them out and we'll give them a donation. They're awesome. I have downloaded their guides on what to plant in my backyard for native pollinators. Yeah, I love them. Okay, good. Oh, sweet. So yeah, a donation went to the Xerxes Society and that was made possible by sponsors of the pod who you may hear about now. This podcast and my life is brought to you by Squarespace. Do you know that I didn't have a website for forever because I was putting it off because I was scared? And then I heard another podcast talk about Squarespace. I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. I had a website up that day. They have beautiful templates. They host. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Look at me. Even I did it. You can sell products. You can sell your time. They have this guided design system. It's called Squarespace Blueprint. You can select from a layout. There are styling options. You can get your website discovered with these integrated, optimized SEO tools so people find you when they Google. They also have easy to use payment tools. So check out, very easy for customers, which is what you want. There's also Squarespace AI, which can help you explain what your site is about. You can choose your tone. Whether you're a scientist who wants to share your work with the world, whether you are starting up a business selling tiny paintings of tiny books, or a choreographer selling dance classes, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I recommend it to all my friends, even when I'm not recording an ad. Okay. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, 
therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you're not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash ologies. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women at 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Okay, your wasp-like, diverse, wondrous, and pointed questions. Okay, lightning round. A lot of questions. The most frequent question I got is, why are they so dicks? We covered it. We're good. Killian Dixon asks, what's the deal with wasps recognizing faces? Can they really do this? And if so, what facial features can they recognize or differentiate? I wonder wonder if 
wearing a mask these days helps at all or not. (laughs) (laughs) Wasps can recognize, well, it's been demonstrated that paper wasps can recognize colony members from their facial patterns. Wow. Uh, now they can't recognize humans as far as I know. Okay. Uh, but the, <laughs> the benefit of that is that it, it is part of the social order. Uh, paper wasps don't have a, a queen in the sense of, of a physically different female than like, you, you know, yellow jackets and hornets have a, a physically larger female that does nothing but produce eggs. Mm-hmm. But paper wasps are a little bit lower on the evolutionary scale and so all the females are capable of producing eggs if they're not bullied by the dominant female and so they learn to recognize each other and act accordingly so a wasp nest can produce like 4000 new queens and in the fall when the temperatures dip and all the workers die off the queens are like sia they go find an abandoned animal burrow or a hollow tree or like a junkyard car and they survive the winter because they have an antifreeze compound in their blood. So then they build their own nest when it warms up, they make a bunch of new workers, and the cycle starts again in the spring. Of course, that's the social wasps. Some queens, they duke it out. Sounds like a very brutal version of some of our high school experiences. Now, speaking of painful external pressures, patron Rich Flight asked, what's the deal with the skinny waist? What's their diet plan? And this question was also on the ganglia of Megan Walker and first-time question askers Lily Taggart and... Tegan Mortimer and a few other folks want to know, what is the point of the wasp waist, the insect one, not the 19th century fashion one, and how do the lower bits of their body not just fall off? This is really bizarre. I, I had forgotten this until I was researching the book, but the abdomen of the of the wasp actually starts on the rear end of the thorax. It's called the propodium. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first dorsal segment of the abdomen. And so everything posterior to that is called the gaster. So in general, that teeny tiny tube waist of some hymenoptera like ants and wasps is called a petiole. And their shapely rump area is the gaster, which you're welcome to call yours from now on. Now, I was looking at pictures of paper wasps' nests and how they hang from a cord like a chandelier filled with wasps. And it turns out that that stalk at the top, also called a petiole. Okay, well, why? And not all wasps have that thin waist, like the sawflies and horntails, which are more primitive wasps if you want to frame it that way, have, still have a cigar-shaped joint to the thorax, a broader joint to the thorax. But when you have that hinged abdomen, it gives you great flexibility when you're trying to sting your host. So it's like a gooseneck lamp? Yeah. Oh, that's a good, oh, that's an excellent uh, analogy. Yeah. Why, thank you. I've, I hope never to encounter one <laughs> up close, but I commend it. That makes tons, tons of sense. So do they have their guts? Is there like one little intestine that goes from the top to the bottom? Yeah, there's an esophagus and then the, the basically the alimentary canal runs through the thorax. The thorax is almost all muscle, by the way. It's what operates the wings and the legs. And so it's it's, it's a really dense muscle structure. And then the abdomen houses the uh, stomach and the and the reproductive and excretory organs. Ooh, that is amazing. I've always wondered what's in there because it's such a little pipe cleaner tube. Ooh. 
Also, did you ever wonder why a Vespa scooter is called a Vespa? I did. So I decided to Google it for several hours. So upon seeing a redesign of the little motorbike, which has a front part with two handlebars and a thin floorboard and then a juicy badonk that houses the motor, one of the engineers said in Italian, that freaking thing looks like a wasp. Are you kidding me? I love it. And so Vespa means wasp in Italiano, and they've been buzzing around the world ever since then. And I thought, goddamn, that must be where the cocktail Vesper gets its name. But nope, the vodka and gin martini with Lillet is called a Vesper, but it comes from the word for evening, not because a giant freezing cold chalice of straight grain alcohol packs a bit of a sting. I'm going to go to first time question asker, Xero Piochoki wants to know, how is it that wasps and bees are so similar, look so similar, but wasps have evolved to consume meat? Well, bees are content just to rub their butts in flower dust. Why do some wasps eat meat? I know when I used to be a caterer, when there were yellow jackets, they'd be like, just throw a piece of ham over there to divert them. What's up with that? Well, you know, again, it go, it, you know, the adult wasps are not consuming protein matter. They're taking it back for their offspring. Mm, amazing. And so, yeah. So they'll, I've, I've watched a yellow jacket cut a piece out of my turkey sandwich and fly off with it. And <laughs> it's like, you know, the one, by the way, one thing I want to caution all your listeners uh, about is serving beverages outdoors. Ooh. Do not serve them in cans or opaque bottles or glassware. You mm-hmm. can get a, a yellow jacket crawling in there. And if you get stung on your tongue, Ooh. you know, even if you're not allergic, that can be a life-threatening experience. You know, serve Mm -hmm. your beverages in clear glasses. So about a million people go to the ER every year for insect stings, but most are just fine. But about 60 to 70 people die every year from allergic reactions to stinging bugs. So just look for symptoms like tingling sensations, dizziness, hives, the skin kind, swelling of your lips or tongue, maybe having a hard time breathing or wheezing, or if someone just straight up passes out. No matter why, you should probably go to the ER for that last one anyway. But one of Eric's pals, he says, you may have heard of him. Justin Schmidt, the king of sting, he's he's called, who <laughs> created the Schmidt Pain Index of <gasps> Insect Stings. Yes! Yeah, yeah. He occasionally will self-inflict uh, a, a sting upon himself and, and uh, then then describe it and rate it on a scale of one to four, four being the, the worst thing and, and one, you know, being the barely detectable, basically. Mm-hmm. A honeybee is a number two on his scale, by the way. But he found out that tarantula hawks, which they need their venom to paralyze their tarantula prey. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to have a pretty wicked sting, I would think, to paralyze a tarantula anyway. Yeah. But it turns out that it's, Absolutely excruciatingly painful if you get stung by one of those things, but in about three minutes, you're fine, and it doesn't do any damage. Oh. It's totally tailored to the prey item thereafter, and that's Mm -hmm. for for solitary wasps, that's the deal. They're telling their venom to a specific host. They're not worried about self-defense. So for solitary wasps, their venom is really prey-specific. Now- What about the city wasps, the ones who live in big paper buildings on the side of your house or underground with thousands of other ones, and they just love love the hustle bustle of the nest life? But for social wasps, that's another story. I mean, that is the purpose of their sting is, you know, get the hell away from our nest. Mm. We got babies in there. Get out. Yeah. And they will, you know, they can route a bear out of their nest. So 
What's the highest on the Schmidt index you've ever been stung? <laughs> oh wow! Uh, somewhere around a three, probably a, a paper wasp got me once, and that was pretty painful. Yeah, yeah. Myrmecologist Terry McGlynn talked to me about his bullet ant. Yeah, uh, bite did not feel good. A sting. Oof! Will Eric ever be sticking his face into a nest for YouTube clout? My feeling about myself mm-hmm. is that if it ever becomes about me. I need to find another line of work because uh. I want it to be about the message. And my message is that, you know, these things deserve, you know, an appreciation and respect that we're not giving them right now. Right. Kareen Wowminster wants to know what's up with wasp venom and cancer treatments. Have you heard anything about their venom being heroically used? There's certainly research going on. There's mm-hmm. There was a, uh, some kind of Brazilian wasp, I think, that shows promise in, in that regard that it, it targets specifically some protein or something that's specific to cancer cells while leaving healthy cells alone. So one 2017 Brazilian study titled Phosphatidylserine Lipids and Membrane Order Precisely Regulate the Activity of Polybia MP1 Peptide sure, found that a toxin in a species of South American wasp targets cancer cells while sparing healthy cells. So the wasp venom contains a toxin called NP1, which globs onto fat molecules on the surface of cancer cells, making the tumor cells leak out what they need. But in healthy cells, a lot of the business is on the inside of the cell, so the NP1 doesn't affect it. But hey, don't go getting stung as medicine. We are not there yet. Also, don't grind up oak galls and shove them up your cooter. Some folks do take tree galls, which are created by flies or mites or, yes, wasps, and they pulverize them to mark it as a tunnel tightener, if you will. Not a good idea. Not medically sound. Also sounds a bit grainy, to be honest. You know, this is an excellent point. We're not, you know, we're not funding basic research the way we used to. And so there's not a lot of money to go into this kind of thing. And, and we've we haven't even scratched the surface of of all these insect-based chemicals that are unique to insects that could have really impactful uh, implications in, in medicine and, and other technology, for that matter. Thanks in advance, wasps. Your yeah. millions of years of evolution, your stingy butts might be saving ours. Who knows? Daisy Goldstein-Cross had a great question. Wanted to know, do they ever use materials besides wood pulp to make those hanging paper nests like plastic? It's so beautiful, and they've used it in some collages before. Do they do paper wasps ever use uh, anything other than wood pulp? Mm-hmm. Basically, any woody cellulose source is something they can use. Some of the social wasps also build mud nests rather than paper nests. Basically, any cellulose source, woody cellulose store, uh, source <laughs> is something that they can use. Uh, it need not be from a old you know, fence post or something, but you often see them gathering material from sources like that. I never thought of how we use wood pulp for paper, and so do they. They just chew up wood, they mix it with spit. We could probably do that for stationery if we weren't so lazy. Now, a lot of you, looking at you patrons, Sarah Van Deventer, Ashley Conan, Lisa Burbage, Charlotte Felkegaard, Kelly Semin, Megan Walker, and Yuri Young have gardens and needed advice on how to coexist with wasps, as did 
Kimberly Hoffman wants to know, how in the heck can I create a pollinator-friendly property, including wasps, without having them make nests on the house? Is there some sort of box I could make for them to have a safe home and reduce negative human interactions with wasps? And actually, another great question to pair with that is, Katie Spino wants to know, do the fake wasps' nests work to prevent them from making a nest near your house? Okay, the answer to that is no. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, don't bother with paper bags and what have you. Mm-hmm. Don't bother painting the underside of your eaves sky blue either. Basically, our architecture mimics where they nest naturally, which is like on cliff faces and under rock ledges and things like that. And so your house is just a big cliff to them. And, and of course, they're going to nest there. And, and you know, if if they're in a place where you can't tolerate them. I mean, you know, remember I just said we had a nest in the corner of our door frame here that I didn't notice for two weeks. Just let them do their thing. Tell people, you tell your guests that come over, okay, you know, please be careful of that. I'm, I'm supporting biodiversity. <laughs> I, I, I say that about our messy house too. <laughs> or, or, you know, we're not, we're not messy housekeepers. We're promoting biodiversity. Exactly. Uh, but uh, And my wife is going to kill me when she hears me say that. So much biodiversity on Dirty Dishes. You're doing great, everyone. Wait, where were we? Yes, outdoors. Oh, how can you create a, a pollinator-friendly garden? Well, if, if you plant for bees, you're going to get wasps by default anyway. You know, if you have a vegetable garden, you're going to have a few aphids. Well, they're going to attract little wasps that sting them and lay an egg in their little aphid and, and the aphid becomes an aphid mummy. And then a, the wasp eventually cuts its way out through a little hatch that looks it looks exactly like a round door coming out of the aphid or what used to be the aphid. So, there, you know, yeah, just you know, kind of learn and celebrate these little things when you find them. If you put up, you know, bee hotels or, or bee condos, they're called sometimes, wasps, solitary wasps will nest in those as well. And, and welcome them because they're taking care of pest caterpillars in your garden and, and other critters that might be gnawing on your veggies. Also, when it comes to bee hotels, do some research and make sure you're getting ones that have removable tubes so you can replace or clean them because things get dirty, mites get in there, and you want your little pollinator babies to be healthy. So research cleaning your bird feeders too. Did you know dirty ones can transmit birdie disease? Also, I neglected to mention in the wildlife ecology episode that you should do some research on bears in your area too because they can be attracted to bird feeders, and that is how bears get labeled as a nuisance and shot. And I just want to say thanks, Ashley, the ologist on Twitter. You can follow her at the angryologist for more wildlife tips. And yes, consider that some native wasps are just out there like bouncers in your garden, 86ing some little critters munching on your lettuce. Ooh, thanks, wasps. Going around doing some cleanup for us. Also, Seguani Dana is up in Maine and says, I have seen a couple of the giant Echinumion Ichnemon wasps, females, I believe she says, around my house, and they are beautiful. Can you please talk a little bit about them and their life cycle? And yeah, these wasps, I've seen them before. I can't remember how to pronounce them, but uh, but what's what their life cycle? Yeah, you know, you have it right. It's Ichnemon wasp. I see H-N-E-U-M-O-N. Certainly Google these mostly non-stinging critters who are like, you will know me by my butt wand. They're now being called Darwin wasps by some some of the experts on that group, you know, now they're thinking there might be as many as a million ichneumon wasp species alone that we've only described 
a small fraction of those in the thousands. But anyway, these guys, yeah, or the, the females rather, their body is maybe a couple inches long, but their ovipositors, their egg-laying organs, are, are streaming out the back end, Woo! adding another four inches to the to the wasp. And so when these things fly by, it looks like one of those sky riders or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and what they're using that long ovipositor to do is to drill into trees or, you know, dead or dying trees that are inhabited by another wasp called the horntail wasp. And its grubs are borers in dead and dying trees. Somehow the, the ichneumon is able to kind of like divine, you know, these like like those old water witches, you know, mm-hmm. divine where this larva is inside this tree. And then she arches up her abdomen and flips that ovipositor underneath her and drills down to reach that grub, lays an egg on it, and then leaves the scene. And her own larva will then feed on the horntail larva. Wow. Yeah. Drama. So much drama. Also, Eric's book, Wasps, The Astonishing Diversity of a Misunderstood Insect, is so pictorial and beautiful. And the cover features these two delicate orange and black wasps that are huddled on a flower stalk, seemingly having some kind of business meeting. Does he have one wasp that he just can't stop staring at? Does he have a secret favorite? Do you have a favorite wasp? <laughs> Do I have a favorite one? Well, not anymore. Not, <laughs> not after learning about these wasps that I was less familiar with. Yeah, I have to say that I have a, a, a true, honest appreciation of all of them now. I, I do like the colorful ones, of course, the cuckoo wasps and velvet ants and things like that that are either, you know, metallic in the case of cuckoo wasps or, or you know, bright fuzzy critters. But the wasp that are, that is on the cover are called Amophila. And I happen to be good friends with with uh, a world authority on on these. And he just wrote a new scientific key to them, describing a couple new species, in fact. Um, and the ones on the cover are sleeping. Believe it or oh. not, wasps sleep. And in the case of these thread-waisted Amophilas, they grip, grip some little twig or stem in their jaws and then prop their body at a 45 degree angle and spend the night that way. Oh. And uh, sometimes they gather in loose clusters and they can look like a little cluster of uh, you know seed pods or something. Uh, but it, yeah, if you go around a, a field at dusk or something and you, and you look closely, you might find them uh, settling down for the night. Oh my gosh, how gorgeous. I mean, is there a good way to start going on a wasp safari if you want to let them into your heart? Uh, well, that's a good question. Just, you know, go out of your house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or go up into the attic. There might be a mud dauber nesting up there for all, all we know. A lot of, by the way, a, a lot of uh, things I see on social media are of postings of wasps that found their way indoors. And often this is because they nested indoors and then the offspring are now emerging inside rather than outside. So, you know, people often just have, you know, are just astonished to find this weird mishmash of of things in their window track or their wind chimes. <laughs> Sometimes oh, they nest in there too. Oh, up in the wind chimes. Gosh, I love the idea that just we're just kicking around, walking around with a cup of tea. No idea that there are oh, yeah. semi-alive spiders that are <laughs> mummified in the wall. Like, so cool. Ethan Chapman asked, just how smart are they? I've heard they're much more intelligent than bees and other stingy boys. And Christina Weaver wants to know, I want to know how the parasitic wasp mind control works. How do they do it? 
Oh, wow. Uh, lot to unpack there. You okay, buddy? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, here's here's the thing. I think one of the reasons, I, th- I think we kind of hold this latent envy of, of wasps that they're maddeningly efficient at exploiting our every weakness, and they <laughs> do it without this burden of ethics and etiquette and... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> a moral compass that that we have to deal with. And so here they're ragingly successful with <laughs> stimulus response and instinct. And here we are with these big brains and we can't remember where we parked the car. <laughs> and, and yet a sand wasp female can find her nest in a dune. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, yeah, they have a way of making us look stupid, but Instinct, I think, is a lot more plastic than we used to think it is. And so it gives, it has some malleability and wasps still have have to make choices and things. And sometimes those choices are, are evolutionarily successful and sometimes they're not, uh, just like any other organism. So I, I think, are they intelligent? Only as much as they have to be. And I think that applies to just about, you know, every animal. You know, there's no waste in nature. Everything is just the point it needs to be to survive. When we throw in our very rapid changes to the landscape, that makes it a little bit harder for them to succeed. Now, changing gears completely to the the zombie wasp kind of thing. Well, our definition of venom is changing a lot. It used to be kind of a, a well is it a lethal thing or you know is it is it a toxin uh, and if so what kind of a toxin well basically a venom now is anything that changes the impacts the host in one fashion or another and that in the case of most wasps it's it's either partial temporary or complete paralysis of the host mm. but in in the case of, of some of these, Wasps, especially braconids and ichnomans, which are very closely related groups, they also have a virus that is peculiar to them that the female injects when she lays her egg. And she may inject a, a mild or some kind of venom that also influences the, the, the host in some way or makes it easier for the, the virus to, to do its thing, which is to basically, yeah, mind control the, the brain of the host to, uh, to bend its will to facilitate the wasp's offspring. And so when the, in the, in the case of some caterpillars or in, in one case, a ladybug uh, parasitoid, um, the host survives the parasitic experience and winds up hovering over the, the pupa stage of the wasp and uh, is, is responsive to stimuli in, in a defensive fashion uh, and is thus a kind of brain-controlled guardian, robotic guardian of its own parasitoid. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I mean, what a beautiful thing, though. I mean, that is just evolution years and years and years and years. So just to think of how many iterations to get the right type of neurotoxin that would work like that, you know? Oh, there's there's wasps that have Rube Goldberg life cycles. It's just insane. <laughs> where they where they don't even attack the host directly, they attack its host and won't 
complete their life cycle unless the intended host uh, or in, yeah, intended parasitoid takes the host. It's mm. just you know, it's unbelievable. If you need a new genre of horror or suspense to get into, may I suggest reading about parasitoid wasps for hours, as I have just done past 2 a.m.? So many species, so many stories, so many victims. It's bananas. Okay, really quick. There are these earthly beings called jewel wasps that are gorgeous and metallic, and they can use their stingers to essentially do brain surgery on their cockroach hosts. And they feel around with their stingers inside of its head and inject venom into very specific regions. And their venom does things like simulate a flood of neurochemicals that makes the cockroach compulsively clean itself for about half an hour, making it a nice clean host for her baby. And then as the roach is primping, the wasp is off, finding a good burrow, comes back, breaks off a roach antenna and gets a nice long quench from its body and then uses the remaining antenna to lead this newly unfettered zombie roach like a freaking farm donkey to a tomb, seals it up, lays an egg on its leg, and then her baby feeds off of this alive, stunned roach for days and days until it makes its debut in the world, busting out of the burrow like a curtain, like a shiny, metallic, bejeweled queen at the best Palm Springs drag show you have ever witnessed. Wasps. I mean, are you even able to even right now? I had to go around the room picking up the pieces of my brain every day after. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you just got to be inundated with wasp facts. Like, oh, what a dream. I love that. Catherine Morse uh, asked, is it just random chance that I'm stung in the palm frequently by wasps on metal railings, grab bars, and even metal wheelchair parts? It's always a wasp and not a bee. This is a disability challenge. No one mentions. Do do they like shiny (laughs) things? Oh, First of all, that's not something anybody should endure more than once, at least. But, well, they, they'll perch on different surfaces to groom themselves a lot. So I often, you know, if I want to take pictures of wasps, I often hang out around the edge of a field where there's shrubs and things with broad leaves. And so they'll, they'll land on there and they'll groom themselves or they'll land on there to mate or the males will land to guard uh, uh, territory or something on that order. Uh, and so... Yeah, they'll land on surfaces you wouldn't expect just in the course of of needing to groom or rest for a minute or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, they're not going to be there that long if it's a hot surface. So the metal thing kind of surprises me a bit. I would expect them more on wood surfaces and, and uh, foliage and things of that nature. Mm, interesting. I wonder if they're perched on it being like, why is it every time I sit on metal, someone squishes me with my hand? <laughs> Why does it keep happening to me? You know? I did some more digging on this and I couldn't find much. However, wasps do gravitate toward metallic car grills because they like to snack on bug guts. So maybe, Catherine, you ran over a bug or like a little bit of fresh sidewalk pizza cheese that was on your wheels that was just irresistible. I don't know. Very much a hypothesis, but I hope it doesn't happen again. Everyone, don't litter, even if it's pizza. The repercussions can go on and on. Anyway, speaking of sucky stuff. Okay, the questions I always have to ask again. I know that we are here to absolutely adore wasps, and we do love them, and they are beautiful. But what is one thing about studying them that sucks? 
Oh, they're so bloody fast. <laughs> that's that's a compliment. I love that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, they just don't sit still for anything, hardly. Yeah, I, I consider it a privilege when I get a chance to get up close to one for any period of time, more than a nanosecond. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess you know the fact that that I'm in a minority of people that appreciate them may be the thing that sucks the most. I'm put on here to defend. Uh, creatures that don't have a lot of yeah, and our entomology community has has failed you to be honest uh you know we haven't done our due diligence in in pointing out the the positive aspects of wasps and their diversity there's insectaries where they raise itty bitty teeny wasps that they release into agricultural fields for example but nobody hears about that mm. <laughs> <laughs> we only we only hear about murder hornets Exactly. And just the fact that I have said on podcast episodes before that wasps are dicks is a is a huge flag to me that I don't know enough about wasps. You know what I mean? And I'm and I love this. You do your homework though. And and <laughs> I, I mean my hat is off to you. Your audience is already educated and, and eager to learn, and I wish that applied to more people uh, i want to thank your listeners in fact right now oh yeah the wasp guy likes you isn't that the best it's gonna be a hard question to answer but your favorite thing about wasps or your favorite wasp i don't know how do you even answer that <laughs> their, their diversity is just astonishing i mean you know that's that's in the the title of the book the subtitle of the book in fact and and, and more so even than i dreamed of i mean i had an inkling i'm learning new stuff every day so it's it's hard to it's hard to pick a favorite, but I you know I certainly adore the the shiny ones, the cuckoo wasps and and the the fuzzy wingless female velvet ants and their winged males and <laughs> uh, tarantula mm-hmm. hawks and their metallic blue and orange and what have you. But uh, yeah, they all have all have a place, and and you don't you know you don't have to like every organism as long as you understand that it has a place. And you can respect that and act accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of organisms I don't like, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I but thankfully uh, I understand their their role in the ecosystem and their impact on on humanity enough to you know to pay them some respect. I think we should start conversations with what's your favorite wasp, and if that's <laughs> just how you know you're this going to be an icebreaker, you better find a favorite wasp. That's fine by me. My favorite wasp is probably the tarantula hawk yeah. wasp. I mean, they're so beautiful. They have that brilliant, like, midnight blue body and this golden, uh, almost like um, caramel-colored wings. And whenever I see them in California, I freak out. I get so excited. <laughs> I've been on, like, a hike before when I, like, pointed strangers toward it to be like, look, look at this beautiful thing. It's so nice to see one. So I think oh, that's yeah. my favorite. They're so beautiful. Ugh. Well, congratulations on your book. Thank you. I mean, Wasps, the Astonishing Diversity of a Misunderstood Insect. It says it all. I love it. Uh, So exciting. Thank you so, so much for being on. I love wasps now. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. (laughs) 
So ask passionate people about unsung underdogs. And look, you respect wasps now. I know you do. Just let them have their space and everyone's going to be fine. So get Eric's book, Wasps, The Astonishing Diversity of a Misunderstood Insect, wherever books are sold. You'll find a link in the show notes. You can find his work on his blog, bugeric.blogspot.com. He's on Twitter at bugeric. We are at ologies on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at alleyward, one L on both please be my friend. You can join the family at patreon.com slash ologies. Costs a dollar a month to get in. Also, hello to everyone on the Ologies Podcast subreddit. Thank you, Aaron Talbert, for adminning the Ologies Podcast Facebook group. Hello. Uh, Ologies merch is available at ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, Bonnie Dutch and Shannon Feltis for managing that. Emily White of The Wordery does our professional transcripts. Kayla Patton does the bleeping, and transcripts and bleeped episodes are linked in the show notes. They're on my website. Thank you, Susan Hale and Noelle Dilworth for keeping Ologies and running. It's been a wacky couple of months. We are shooting double our usual schedule for Innovation Nation. Plus, I took a few extra TV show consulting jobs this year, and I'm getting married in a few weeks to editor Jarrett Sleeper, a very handsome, smart person. Hi. Hi, Jarrett. Things have been, let's just say, very active at Ward HQ lately. Um, Thank you, as always, to co-editor Stephen Ray Morris, always a busy bee and a wonderful wasp himself. And Nick Thorburn of the band Islands did the theme music. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, I tell you a secret. And this week, I will tell you in grammar school, I still feel guilty about this. I was mucking about just getting filthy at recess a lot. I would build like tiny mud houses or what have you. And one day my friend Steve was like, hey, you want to see a yellow jacket nest? And I was like, hell yeah, dude. And me and his friend Brandon walked over to a hill and stopped in front of a hole in the ground. And I'm like, where's this nest, y'all? And Brandon stomped on the hole and the yellow jackets were like, not cool, Brandon. Not cool. We got babies in here. And then they flooded out like a cartoon. And yeah, I got multiple stings in my hand. And yes, I cried like a B word. But also, I was like, Yellow Jackets, well played. A worthy adversary, I have learned. Even though it wasn't me, it was Brandon that stomped on it. I never would have condoned that. However, I did get to go home for the rest of the day, which kind of ruled and watched the prices right. Okay, so respect your flying sharks and drink out of clear glasses. Okay, that's all. Bye. Phosphatilserine. Phosphatilserine. Gesundheit? Phosphatilserine lipids and membrane order sp- phosphatidylserine. Phosphatidylserine lipids. Phos- mm. Phosph- phosphatidylserine lipids. Phosphatidyl. Phosphatidylserine, phosphatidylserine lipids and membrane order precisely regulate the activity of polybia MP1 peptide. Sure.